In a world where heresy blankets the airwaves, religious stuffed shirts suck the life out of Sunday morning, and prosperity teachers rob grandmothers of their pensions, three unassuming ministers endeavor to shine the light of biblical theology and put the fun back in fundamentalism. Broadcasting live from the Hall of Dogma... Brought to you this week by the great state of Michigan, the old Pontiac Silverdome, and an indoor attendance sports record. Welcome in to episode 87 of the Gospel Friends. I am Reverend Verbage. I am Chase Captain Crunchy Thompson, and I actually know what you're talking about for once. (laughs) I, however, do not, and I am Nick. Well, I cannot think about 1987 Without and this is true. Just anytime eighty-seven comes to my mind, uh, so does WrestleMania three. And I know we talk about wrestling probably too much on this show, but um, Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. This was back when most people, you know, maybe didn't know or didn't want to know that wrestling was scripted. And ninety-three thousand people uh, packed into the Pontiac Silverdome to watch Andre versus Hulk. Which was a indoor uh, attendance record for a sporting event, which actually stood up until uh, 2010, when the uh, NBA All Star Game broke that record. Although I will say now, I mean, people know wrestling scripted, and it still packs in eighty, ninety thousand people to some of their events. But nevertheless, 1987 WrestleMania three. Do you know who won that match, Nick? I'm presuming Hulk, but I do not know for certain. He did. That was the that was the match where he body slammed Andre the Giant. That's what I was thinking. Two of my all time favorite tag team uh, tag teams were at that match. Uh, one of them victorious, one of them not victorious. And I remember being extremely upset at the tag team that lost. Ah, uh, okay. Um, the British Bulldogs. The British Bulldogs were defeated by the Hart Foundation, That's who right. I absolutely hated with a deep and utter passion. Uh, but the Can-Am connection, who I like to buy, they won. There, there you go. This it was also WrestleMania three, by the way. Had a midget match. Hey, um, I could have participated. You, could, <laughs> you stole my joke. I know that's why they don't I did do it. a lot of midget wrestling anymore. But it was a. I don't think he, I don't think we use that word anymore either. The M word. We don't now, but we did back then. And I have to so to talk about it. I have to talk about what it was. It was a midget match. Don't apply that reasoning to uh, uh, <laughs> racial terms or anything like that. Little little Just people pro tip. Little people wrestling would not uh, would not be good. Anyway, nevertheless, how wrestling. about little people is is one of the worst uh, politically correct bits of jargon that you can have. I would if if I was a little person, I would rather be a midget ten times over than little people. I don't really. Why is midget bad? I don't know why little people is good. That just sounds so demeaning. Diminutive stature people? Would that be better? (laughs) It's a lot better. DSTs. It should be gravity (laughs) challenged people. Even that is better than little people. Little people, it sounds like an old cartoon. In fact, I believe it was an old cartoon. Gravity Mm. inhibited? Oh, no, that was the littles, but close enough. (laughs) All right, WrestleMania 3. Anyway, that's enough for that. Uh, 1987. Um, was uh, I, I was nine though, 
and and still remember that vividly. Chase, you were nineteen, so I was thirty-seven. <laughs> Talk about stealing a joke. Yeah, you did. You took it right off. All right, guys. Uh, episode eighty-seven. So this week we are actually uh, recording. If it sounds different to you from. Um, remote locations. So, number one, if you hear any odd background noise or screaming children or anything like that, it's it's coming from the fact that we're in our homes, fairly unprotected from our families. Yeah, I'm actually here. Unprotected uh, from. Our <laughs> That's I, I'm here, wifeless, at my house with the five children. One of them playing piano. One of them on my bed watching TV that just screamed at me earlier, and I am sitting on the floor of my son's room uh, in a corner of a house uh, because my office is too cold. So um, I, this this may not work. That's going to bring us to our first topic. So we're going to talk about divorced pastors and how we minister oh. to them. <laughs> Dang. I miss my wife. I have a lot of regrets. She actually left Chase for a uh, little person, so we don't really know what to say about that. <laughs> oh, wow. So many jokes. So many jokes. All right. So, actually, your wife is your wife is out of town at a, uh, uh, a women's leadership conference, right? That is correct. None Speaking of you can of see. women in leadership, that's topic number two for today. None of you could see me doing air quotes when I said women's leadership conference. Great. <laughs> Great. Hey, that's going to really stifle our effort to reach uh, new female listeners. Despite Brad's best efforts, we are shooting. Okay, ourselves. well, I said something about. So this is a, a, a women's um, what Bible study movement that, that your uh, wife participated in at one point. That my wife community does, Bible study. She does participate in now, but I tell her I, I joke all the time about you can't do leadership because that means you're going to leave one week in a year. And leave me with just the kids, and, and I'm against that. So, um, I think it's a sin. I said to her that I really don't think they're doing leadership stuff. It's just an excuse to go away for a weekend. And then she said, "Well, that's the same thing with your and Chase's elder retreats." So, uh, you know, hey. hey, I would like to say that we actually get a surprising amount of work done on those elder retreats. Thank you. Believe it or that's not, that's what I said. That's what I said. You know, just for the record, and at least until John and Sam went along with us. Oh my! Why did you? Why? Why? <laughs> wow. Well, only one of them will ever hear this. That is true, and I was just why kidding, John. My wife is yelling at me from the background. Anyway, I'm all for the leadership things for CBS. My wife is involved in another organization that takes her away a couple weekends a year called Trace Dias. And so I. We can only have. Another one that takes y'all away for a couple of weekends a year to Missouri and things like that. So. Yeah, but uh, I go. I'm actually looking forward to seeing you this weekend. It's been a while. I go with her. Listen, I'm going to say this I am not against um, women's leadership weekends as long as they would take the kids with them i'd be all i mean <laughs> if it would be like women that's very biblical children, women and children leadership weekends i think yes. that's awesome my, yeah my, my. i'm going to propose that to the leadership of uh, cbs and see how that goes yeah we could get a lot done at the house you know absolutely men wise no you wouldn't there's a lot of men stuff we could get done if 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 that's the way they do you have it. a new ver- level of halo you're trying to get <laughs> finally beat like what are you doing and once again this. nick playing the role of the feminist yeah, nice. oh no Thank no no you. no i'm straight up playing the role of the guy who knows the three of us 
And Chase is going to be on Battlefront. I'm going to be working on a Madden career. And Lord only knows what you're going to be doing in your chimney pajamas. Thank you, hey. nuclear Nichelle Nichols, because that's the closest <laughs> I could think of a female equivalent of Nick. <laughs> All right. Well, Chase is wifeless, uh, and and we are all in remote locations. So the the other reason is we were concerned about the snow snowpocalypse here in <laughs> Alabama. Um, guys, I don't know about you, but um, I I tried to open my door last night, and there was at least a a, a uh, eighth of an inch of snow on the top of my grill. So mm. <laughs> that that is really really dangerous. Hey, but I, I got to leave work early, so I don't care. I, I saw a couple of ice balls that the kids had made yesterday that were still here. And when I opened the door, it was, it was kind of cold. So staying in, I think, is very prudent. Oh, I, it, it, and and I've had, you know, these East Coast people try to complain about their little teeny amount of snow they got. But it, nothing compared to what we had to deal with yesterday. Nothing. The so. pictures that Tony Vance and some of those guys up in Virginia and West Virginia have been posting very clearly photoshopped. Those I mean, were nobody fake. gets that much snow. Those except were fake. maybe on Saturn or Neptune or something. Yeah, it's just you know more of that. You can't you can't trust those East Coast guys. But anyway, it's uh, I, I think we'll be okay to probably get out and go to church tomorrow. What do you think, Chuck? I, I think I'm I'm really keeping a careful eye on the weather, and we will have an announcement tonight whether or not we'll have service in the morning. Well, David, so, in your journey is clearly the most perilous. I mean, you've got to be extra careful. Well, I, I do. It's 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 a long trip for me. There, this is a little known fact about Chase um, Chase Thompson. Now, Chase, we, we've talked about some of Chase's idiosyncrasies on the show. Um, he prefers you to stand during worship. Um, you, he, you lazy bums, get off of your backside and worship the Lord. It, so it That's angers him. Yeah, it angers him uh, to if you sit during worship. It angers him if there is uh, prayer and no one actually prays out loud. Um, oh man! But this, gen- but this man in his early years at Agape would—I mean, if someone broke wind, he would consider bra- uh, oh canceling church. David McConnell. <laughs> he would. He would look for any reason to not do church. <laughs> hey guys. Uh, I understand it's supposed to rain Wednesday night. Do y'all think we should call it off? Um, <laughs> I mean, we would constantly have these conferences with Chase that was like, hey, what do y'all think about church Sunday? Y'all think, y'all think we should have it or not? So, anyway. All right. So, in fairness, my attendance record stands up to anybody's. And in eight years of being there, I believe we canceled one Sunday morning. We and it was a, a few Wednesday nights. I'll, I'll admit that. It was just Sundays you didn't want to be there. So, that's and that's how, the thing. That's the thing. You 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 will you will definitely get like we're going to hear about it if we miss. But if you need to miss, you'll just try to find a way to cancel church so it doesn't count against you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I stand by my record of zero weather related deaths and and my time in a coffee. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> no one has died under his watch. That's what he's saying. So. Weather related. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well. Yes. That's true. Yeah, that took a turn. The whole sin thing still gets people. So, well, that does indeed. Yeah, the original sin. Yes, that was. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, let's see. Coming up today, we're going to uh, we're going to talk um, about uh, a story called presidential comeover. So, I think uh, there's a there's no no, no, no. A, president comeover. Oh yeah, you're right. President comeover. 
Okay. I don't know who that's about. We actually have a, uh, a story that was on uh, CNN that was kind of interesting to us. So seven types of evangelicals, which I actually didn't know there were seven types of evangelicals, but CNN says there is. Well, and, there's uh, certainly not seven. And and well, we're gonna we're gonna see if we agree with it in a moment. But anyway, seven types of evangelicals and who those seven types are voting for or leaning toward in the primaries, uh, according to CNN. We also are going to do uh, some Super Bowl predictions for you football fans in just a moment, and we'll try to make that kind of quick for those of you who are not American football fans. And we're gonna you, Chris Hater, yeah, (laughs) UK guys. Um, and you know, we'll probably try to squeeze something spiritual in there. Yeah, I was going to say so far the show doesn't seem very, uh, you know, revival focused or, or deeply exegetical and meaty. We're going to do something about that, but it's what you guys wanted. So, uh, but to get started, we actually (sighs) have a, uh, a little story. This is, this is an Uber story. Okay. So you guys are familiar with Uber. This is the new. Um, essentially, I, I don't even know how would you describe it. It's a, it's 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 like a taxi, but it's not. So it's uh it's a it's a ride service where you yeah basically you use your car as a taxi. Yeah. Okay. So there's a. But why a, why do I have to? Never mind. Okay. Well, you make money. if I need a taxi, why am I using my car? Well, no, you or if I have use my your car, car to carry other people uh, around, so that they so, don't have to use a taxi. Would that not creep y'all out? Well, we're we're going to get there. We're, we're going right. to get there. We're going to get there. But th- there's so, so you've got these the, basically people can sign up to be Uber drivers, and so they will you know if, if Uber is in your town, which um, apparently, and I don't really get this part, but you know you maybe it's a business license deal, but not every town allows Uber. So I know here in nearby Birmingham, Alabama, it just got passed in the last couple of months where people could actually use the service and uh, and advertise um i actually just read something and i don't remember which town it was that banned uber um it seems like it may have been a town in florida but i, I can't remember but anyway it's it's not everywhere but it, you know you can essentially just say hey i'm gonna i'll drive people around get money for it and other people can can get on the uber website or maybe there's an app and and uh and and you know find rides so but but all of these uh, people now becoming Uber drivers, there's all of these funny videos and stories that are happening um, as crazy people try to get in other people's cars. And so uh, some of you may be familiar with the Taco Bell executive that got in the Uber car uh, uh, drunk as a skunk and ended up beating up the Uber driver and lost his job. And just this week, there's a video out of a... Um, female physician, uh, I believe, in Florida. Was it Miami, Chase? Was that where that one happened? I did not see, but we do not recommend you go and watch that video. No. Um, no. We, we would not recommend that you do that. Um, it's loaded with bad language and inappropriate outfits. Would the yes. TV Guardian even save you on that video? Now this was a this was a female doctor who did not dress like a female doctor. She dressed like a, a female of another profession. But anyway, we won't go there. Um, uh, which profession? 
<laughs> so she uh, in this Uber video, someone had called for an Uber driver. The Uber driver comes up, and this female physician, who is not the one who called for the car, uh, decides it's her car. And she tries to get in. The Uber driver tries to stop her. She gets violent with him, ends up actually just going into his car while he's standing outside of it. Um, and uh, starts throwing things out of his car, and what? and uh, and yeah, she's cussing up a storm, demanding that he take her where um, she wants to be taken, and so it, it's just a really crazy thing. Uh, here's my question to you guys, and and Nick, I'll start with you. Um, what in the world do you think would possess someone to want to become an Uber driver? I mean, like, what kind of person could you imagine? would actually become an uber driver um uh I, I, someone who has ill intention towards other members of society okay um, crazy crazy like yeah killers okay yeah maybe a, a someone who had um maybe illicit substances they wanted to sell and we're looking for good opportunities to do that druggies druggies okay i love how you're taking these and just nick I'm, you're not I, about to tell us you're an uber driver are you <laughs> Uh, no, there's there's no uh, legal reason for me to be one yet in Alabama. Um, let's see here. Ah, uh, or I'm very, very depressed people that just need a friend, maybe. Um, okay, manic depressives. Yeah, because uh, yeah. there's not enough money in the world. Well, okay, there's not enough money that I could feasibly get paid for one of these excursions to risk the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs people that you're describing. So essentially what you just said to me is basically no rational sane person would become an Uber driver. I can't imagine it being such. Okay. All right. That's an interesting perspective. Chase, over to you. Who do you think well, would become an Uber driver? What would cause someone to want to do that? Speaking as a manic depressive person <laughs> who has a business selling illicit drugs <laughs> to harm society uh, whenever I can, I, I think I make an ideal Uber driver for all of the reasons y'all just listed out. <laughs> um, now, Chase, have you thought about becoming an Uber driver? Is that what you're telling us? Well, you know, it's funny that this story would even come up because I've more than thought about becoming an Uber driver. I am, in fact, an Uber driver. No. Uh, hey, uh, <laughs> edit, edit, edit point, Nick. I've got to go pick my jaw up off the floor. Hang on just a second. <laughs> no, now we can just have a normal show. Um, okay, I'm back. So Chase, as I you, are a, you are an Uber driver. I, I am an Uber driver. Um, I I, uh, I usually work at a seminary. The seminary does not uh, is not open in January, so um, I had some extra time. I needed to fill in a little bit of income, so I signed up with Uber and uh, have been. I, I really actually have only driven one week. I I got I got sick last week and didn't drive. Um, but yeah, I've I've, uh, I've picked up a lot of packs as, as they are called passengers, and uh, I've done the Uber thing. Okay, wow. so give us a down and dirty of how the process works. First of all, so how do you? Uh, what kind of testing uh, application did you have to fill out? What kind of you know driver's test did you have to pass? How how long was the process for you to actually become uh, an Uber driver? It, it took about, I want to say it took about three weeks. Uh, they do a pretty extensive background check, uh, criminal background and otherwise. They do, uh, of course, they check your driver record. Um, and and I, I, don't, I don't know the formula or whatever, but I got approved. And uh, basically, 
uh, drove the first week Uber opened in Birmingham. So how does it work? How does people? How do you? How do you? You know, what kind of shifts do you work? Those kinds of things. Like how do you? It's actually pretty brilliant. Um, everything is driven by their app. I have never actually met an Uber human being. So I actually work for the company, never having met somebody that works for the company, which is really interesting. Um, but uh, basically, uh, as a driver, you decide when you want to work. Uh, you don't have any set hours in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, but, but you just go to where the people are, turn on your, uh, your drive, Uber partner app, uh, which kind of tells the system that you're, you're available. Then somebody, you know, it, it's, it's the, the app itself is just, is, is brilliant engineering. Um, it, it assigns, uh, you to pick up a person based on where they are, where your location is, uh, and probably some other things as well. And you go pick them up. You, you don't ever handle payment. All of that happens through the app. Um, and then at the end of the deal, you rate the rider. Uh, the driver rates the rider, and the rider rates the driver. Okay, so so both people have to have a login to the app, not just the – I guess that makes sense because you've got to be able to let the drivers know you want to be picked up. So. Precisely. So yeah, you have there's to have an Uber app and an Uber driver's app. But now there's no application process or background check for the people who are getting the rides. That is correct, yes. Okay, so you may very well be picking up crazy people. Well, uh, the, the big uh, the night I had the most fares, I picked up uh, – I think I, I, wait, think wait, I had – Wait, 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 wait. I'm sorry. The night you had what? The most fares. Okay, the most fares, not the most affairs. Wow. No, no, no they, correct. They, don't make the most fares, F-A-R-E-S. Just checking. Just checking. Don't um, make it weird. Chase already did. Seventeen. <laughs> I picked up seventeen different groups of people. Uh, most most were groups. Uh, some were solo, and, and I would say about three quarters of them were uh, either drunk out of their mind or on their way to being drunk. Like take them to the bar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let me ask you this: uh, seventeen people. So that one night. No, uh, seventeen seven, pickups. Uh, some of the you know there could be okay. four people per okay. pickup. 17 groups of people, uh, yes. 17 pickups. And how many hours over how, how long that night did you work? Uh, it was about eight hours, I think. Eight hours? Okay. Yeah, some of so, it was figuring out where to go. What, what was your bring home pay for that? Eight hours worth of work, 17 pickups. Uh, that's a good question. It ended up being about 170, um, $75, something like that. Wow. Wow, twenty bucks an hour. Yeah, so slightly over twenty bucks an hour. Of course, you, you got to pay gas, uh, and, and and you factor in. I didn't really know what I was doing. Uh, I didn't really find the hot. This was the first night I worked. I didn't really find the hot spots of Birmingham for Uber. I actually expected it to be uptown and Southside, which are you know two of the more yeah. traditionally upscale parts of Birmingham. But I got zero pickups from there. Probably needed to go over to Avondale. Avondale. It was all about the Avondale and the Mountain Brook, yep. the the rich kids and the uh, Avondales. All right, so I'm going to ask you a serious question, Chase. Uh, I'm going to tell you what the question is. I'm going to go to Nick and ask him something else before you answer. Oh so I'm going to come back and ask you a serious question. Do you – would there uh, – being a, a Christian and a pastor, do, was there any wrestling uh, for you in terms of um, – who you were picking up or maybe where you were taking them and anything like that. Uh, any 
convictions or um, were you able just to, to kind of do it as a business and and, uh, and and not not think about that? But Nick, over to you for a second. Here's a question. All right, I'm going to see if you can follow what I'm thinking here. There, There is a characteristic of our friend Chase sure. that would make – um, that would make him seem like not an ideal Uber driver. Okay, there, there's a particular thing that Chase is known for, um, and this is not really a, necessarily a personality trait, but this is it, it is part of just kind of his makeup and who he is, and maybe how he handles things. That would not seemingly make him a perfect Uber driver. Can you guess what that thing is? Oh, there's a oh shoot. Um. I don't know if you had enough Kleenex or hand sanitizer. Do they do they have a way to wash oh, your man. car out? Man, can you imagine with if, a hand sanitizer hose? Can you imagine? I, I do if have someone, a hand sanitizer in the back. <laughs> can no, no, you no, no. If someone got into his car with like a, uh, uh, you know, tuberculosis cough or something like that. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, here's so here's the thing I want to know: How many people puked in your car? Mm. Uh, zero, but the, I think you can get like one hundred and fifty dollars if somebody does. Uh, like, really? it, like the system will charge them that for messing That's up your That's amazing. Car. Okay, dude, I would be driving like around in circles, <laughs> swerving in and out <laughs> lanes as fast as I could. <laughs> All right, this is what I would – do you know what I was driving at, Chase, that characteristic of yours that would seemingly not make you an ideal Uber driver? I'm going to guess uh, awkward in small talk. Uh, no. That oh, wasn't okay. All, okay. This is this is what I was thinking of. I, I don't really notice that about you. You you mentioned that you are not comfortable in small talk, but I, personally, I don't. That's not something I I really think about. It seems like you may struggle with that internally, but you do it well externally. Okay, this is what I was thinking of. I have never rode with Chase Thompson anywhere that there is not at least a ninety second wait outside of his car while he actually has to make you a space to sit. <laughs> okay, from nice. a floorboard full of open, uh, empty cola cans or, I mean, uh, uh, just things thrown everywhere. Like, literally, it, there, there is a, a need for, like, a bulldozer to move stuff over in order to climb into Chase's car, any that's, vehicle he's ever owned. That's been better in the, in the new car. Um, Thank you. I, I think that's a bit of an exaggeration. Oh, it's not. It's not from the Grand Marquis. I mean, that's absolutely the truth in the Grand Marquis. Um, I, I, you have to. You, as I an just Uber put driver, a towel you have to down whenever your, I had to ride with you. Yeah, you have to keep your car pretty spotless. So I, I went in and detailed everything. Okay, you which understand? Is not normal for me. You understand? Like you know, they say that people who are geniuses are actually really bad at at just everyday tasks. You know, so like you know, somebody like Einstein, maybe they didn't iron their clothes or know how to tie their shoes or something like that. For as germaphobe of a person as our friend Chase is, that grand marquee he had, it was astonishing because, I mean, it was – I mean, I encouraged him on numerous occasions to sell that thing to UAB to their – to their – to a lab. Biology so, department. Yeah, to have that thing tested out. It was amazing how icky that car was. Icky. Chase, you made a grown man of five – how many kids? Yeah, you have five kids now, right? Yeah, I have five. Parent of five children, say icky. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm hearing that. That's beautiful. Well, right. a, a clean car is a sound, a sign of a sick mind. 170 bucks. Wow. Chase, any, 150. any, 
Any Christian or pastoral conflicts that you have run into so far being an Uber driver? Yeah, that's, that's actually an interesting question. It, it is not what I expected it to be. I expected Uber-wise that the majority of people I would pick up and take around would be uh, business-type people, um, out-of-towners, that sort of thing. Hmm. Um, but, but I have picked up a guy from a strip club, which obviously I you know, is pretty, you know, I don't know. Uh, what I try to do is I try in, in, in the small talk thing. I actually f- find myself to, to be a lot more natural at small talk as an Uber driver. Uh, you have a captive audience. You're supposed to be socially engaging if they want to be. And I've actually had a blast having conversations with people. And somewhere in it, uh, they usually ask what I, what else I do. Do I drive full time for Uber? And I always try to somehow in a non awkward, non forced way tell people that I'm a pastor, uh, that I'm a full-time pastor and, and, and try to subtly drive the conversation towards spiritual things. Uh, and, and for the most part, it, it kind of works. It doesn't always. Um, but, uh, that, that's one thing I've done. And, and look, I, I picked up a lot of drunk people. Um, and, and, I, that's obviously uh, – I'm not crazy about that, but I, I guess in a sense I'm driving them instead of them driving themselves, which is a lot safer. Um, and it gives me some opportunities for uh, real spiritual conversations with them. Now, now, a couple of times – and I told my wife about this as soon as it, ha- as it happened. Uh, a couple of times it was just me and uh, a, a woman in the car, which – is I mean, generally speaking, we have an accountability rule uh, at Agape and other churches I've been at that you never have that situation. And, and in particular, I picked up three ladies a- at one point. Um, they were all attractive, probably all in their in their mid twenties. Two of them were were largely sober. One of them was not. And so I dropped the other two ladies off, at each one at their house, and they were very concerned about the third lady. And, uh, I, I, you know, they were like, hey, you know, are you okay? And she was just very quiet. And, and, and they said, you know, please call us when you get home and, and all that. And I was, I was just thinking to myself, well, I wonder, you know, why they're so concerned about her. Well, when it was just me and her in the car, uh, I, could, I found out, and that is she didn't know where she lived. Um, she didn't know where her keys were. She didn't know where her car was. So, wow. uh, yeah, man, it was it was a heartbreaking wow. situation, um, and, and a scary situation. I mean, here I am with with a lady in my car that is apparently so drunk she didn't know where she was, and and you want to reach out and help, but at the same time, you know, number one, you're you're a, you know you're not a pastor as such, and number two, even if you were a pastor. That's one of the most dangerous situations a pastor can be in. So ultimately, I ended up dropping her off at her hotel. She said that's where her keys were. And I hovered in the background far out of sight to make sure everything was okay. But um, I didn't expect those kind of situations. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm not yet fully processed on how the best way to handle them is. So, I, I, you know, I think. Originally, when I was asking the question, I was thinking, you know, I've, I, to me, that would it's, it's a job. So it's like anything else. I mean, you know, it's not we're not quote unquote participating in in someone's sin. It's it's you know, 
if you were a taxi driver or a bus driver or any other profession where you run into people every day who are not saved and are doing things that people who are not Christ followers do um, because they haven't come to conviction of sin through through God's Spirit. I mean, you know, it, it's it's you know, you're not enabling that. It's just it's, it's making a it's a profession. Um, but we, we have had those conversations about, you know, for example, the people who, um, you know, would bake the cakes for the homosexual weddings and whether or not they, they, that seared their conscience. And I think some of the discussions we've had is that, you know, if, if that is just not something that you can do with a clear conscience, then you probably need to find another line of work. But as you were sitting there talking about it, I mean, I, it's kind of odd because I don't think I would have a problem picking up drunk people or even dropping people off at a bar. I mean, they're not necessarily not necessarily that someone's going to get drunk just because they're going to a bar. But I probably would struggle some if I was taking someone to a strip club. I just I can picture that in my head that if if that was where I was taking somebody, I just imagine I would have some type of uh, you know struggle yeah. with that. Um, whether or not it would it would reach the level that I couldn't do that job anymore, I don't know. But that I, I can imagine that would be something I would really struggle with, whether I was an Uber driver or taxi driver or whatever. I, I um, thought the same thing. I have not taken anybody to a strip club, but that that I, I wouldn't be a fan of that. Obviously, picking them up from the strip club is good because you're taking them away from the sin. So that's <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that's I guess okay. if you take more people away than you take there, it's a net benefit, right? <laughs> it, it all works out. <laughs> you're getting very Catholic on us now, Chase. Um, I was not being serious. I I, I well know that. That's interesting. I, I, will share, I will share one thing that struck me. Um, I was uh, I was driving the kids to church um, last uh, the 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 Sunday after I worked the Friday night, which was uh, I ended up. I by the way I worked from um, I got home at like three forty in the morning that uh, that uh, Saturday morning, um, and I had my last fare was like at three twenty five in the morning. So it's pretty crazy hours when you drive at night. But um, the kid we were driving to church. We're in the back seat, and they ask the question, "Daddy, why is there a beer bottle uh, in in your uh, in the pocket of your back seat?" And I was like, "What? A beer bottle?" And got to church and looked around. And sure enough, it was uh, somebody who had rode with me had left their beer uh, in in the car, which was kind of an awkward situation. But was it any good? Um, uh, I think it was all, I think it was gone. Uh, I didn't try it, uh, Nick. That that would be kind of gross. Um, we've talked about drinking before, but drinking after somebody who left half a bottle in your car, not not cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I just wanted to make you squirmish, squeamish. It, it did. It did. Uh, this, here's the thing that struck me after after a week of working with Uber. There are so many people in our city, the, the belt of the Bible belt. Uh, it, there are so many people who just don't know Jesus don't have a clue about Jesus and, and who are just radically uh, away from Jesus. And it's not just a few. It's it's tens of thousands. And and I'm all for foreign missions. In fact, I believe we should, our church should take a foreign mission trip this year. Uh, but, I, but I think churches in particular in Bible Belt places are missing the vastness of people that are very close to their buildings that are so far apart from Jesus. And we are not driving for Uber has made me realize we are not nearly missionally focused enough. 
we we are missing it big time. We are missing the heart of Jesus there, and 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 the, the you know there are so many out there that are like sheep without a shepherd, and it it has kind of troubled me ever since then. Do you think do you think churches are so externally? When I say external, I mean foreign missions focused, because they just still feel that the command you know, in Acts to go into all the world or, or the, the Great Commission, go into all the world means globally? Or do you think they're, they're not scared of the local people, but scared to admit there's something wrong around them? Okay, I was going to bring that up because I think there's something, and, and I don't want to say this about everybody who goes on a foreign mission trip, because I, I think there are churches and, and people uh, who are called to do that. I'm not sure that everyone's called to, to do foreign missions um, or go on a, a short-term mission trip. Um, maybe they are. I'm just saying I, I, I have some questions there. I think everybody's called to something and to some type of missional work. But there there is something, you know, sometimes to me there there is a, you know, you go on a, a, a foreign mission trip and that is seen as, man, like a really big deal. Um, but if you were just to go and, and serve locally somewhere um, one night a week, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily have the same type of um, you know uh, pizzazz around it or something. You know, people people don't people don't view that in the same light. And so um, I, I wonder sometimes if we miss out on those opportunities locally because they just don't seem to have the grandeur of going on a foreign mission trip. You know, people people kind of and people. <laughs> You know, and again, this is not everybody, but you know, there's there's sometimes a little, you know, oh uh, yeah, I went to Uganda on a mission trip one time, or hey, I went to, you know, uh, this foreign, remote, dangerous country on a mission trip, and and I'm not saying everybody who shares that is trying to brag, but I'm just saying there there is something that's kind of a big deal about that. You don't hear as many people go, oh yeah, I go downtown and and serve in this homeless ministry or, 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 or this, this ministry, you know, in the inner city. Um, so, so I wonder if that's part of it is that, that it just doesn't have the same type of, I don't know, visibility, notoriety. Um, you know, for me, I mean, like, like right now where I'm at, that's kind of what my family and I feel called to is doing some, some local ministry, um, you know, uh, not necessarily inner city, but but we're 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 definitely trying to work with a ministry that is working with um, people in our community who are who are struggling within their families right now due to um, and, and where DHR has gotten involved and that's just something we really feel called to. Chase made the joke about um, me missing church this past Sunday and good to see me again. But I mean that was God's opened up some opportunities for us to to go to a couple other states and help start that program. And that's just something that like right now we really feel like God has pointed us at, but I'm like, Chase, you know, it's really opened my eyes. He's talking about being an Uber driver and seeing this, but, but kind of working with some of these groups and, 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 and being where I'm, I'm working with some of these families, man, you really see a, a level of lostness, um, I, well, I don't want to say level of losses, but you definitely see a lostness that I'm not sure that as a pastor you see all the time. I actually think you're you're kind of insulated in the church. I mean, really, like if you're in the church, in the church building, in your church community, I think there is a an insulation that happens from the really lost of the world and what they're 
what they've gotten caught up and trapped in. You don't necessarily see that just on a Sunday morning at your local fellowship. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a lot of pastors kind of have the idea that half their time, 25 or so hours a week, need to be spent uh, preparing the sermon and things like that. And I, I, I disagree with that, although I, I think you put a lot of time into studying and teaching the Word. Um, I think we've lost the art uh, of apostolic ministry in the church. Uh, and I think you can tell it in our vocabulary. You, you can tell it in the way we talk about mission trips and, and, and such. Uh, when we talk about mission trips, we talk about, and, and I just had a conversation this week with somebody about about mission trips. They're, they're going to um, a third world country to help build uh, a church building or build houses. And I've done that. I, I've done it and I value it. I, I've gone to Mexico to build houses for poor people. It, it's, it's a good thing. Um, when we talk about mission trips, we talk about feeding the homeless. That's a wonderful thing. It's a Jesus thing. It's a Matthew 25 thing. And, and, I, and I'm not saying we should diminish that. In fact, we should continue doing it and expand it. But what we do so rarely in the church, in any church, and even the best uh, of fellowships, and certainly I'm uh, talking about our own fellowship here, so this is not me throwing rocks at, at, at everywhere else. I, I just think the church in general, the church uh, I'm part of leading in particular, we do so rarely apostolic ministry, which is the kind of things that you see Paul and, and James and John and Peter doing, uh, proclaiming the gospel to lost people outside the context of a, of a church meeting. Um, we, we do that very rarely. And doing things like driving for Uber and what you're talking about, David, uh, being working hands-on with families who are struggling. And, and Nick, what your wife does, teaching in the public school, that kind of thing always keeps the need before your eyes for lost people to hear the gospel in an anointed and powerful way and to find Jesus. And, and I think it's, it's so interesting to me, uh, almost tragic, probably is tragic, that that main area of ministry that the church should have is very often less than 10% or even less than 5% of the active ministry the church has. Well, uh, and, and two, I mean, there's a, um, you know, so we have people in our fellowship, and I, I, uh, particularly several girls who they just have a heart for international missions. Like if you just, uh, and not only that, but the particular country. So we, we actually have someone who is living abroad right now in another country that she has had a heart for for years and years and years. And, and you know, when, when you're talking to them and they talk about these countries they've been to, and usually with them there's a particular country they have a heart for, I mean, you can just see it in their eyes, you can hear it in their voice. There's an, an excitement for it. Uh, but, but there's, you know, I mean, I honestly think there are, um, you know, people who have a heart for adoption and going internationally to adopt or into domestically to adopt. That is a that is definitely a, a form of mission. Um, foster care. We've talked about that on the show. This is something that Nick and his family do. I mean, literally bringing in people to your home and serving them and taking care of them and, and, and trying to share the gospel with them while they're there, depending on, on their age. Uh, I mean, there are so many opportunities 
to serve lost people in your community and outside of your community and internationally. And it really just is a matter, I think, of pursuing God and seeking God on on what we do. I mean, I, I think we would agree we're all called to something uh, along those lines. So I think there's the gifts that God has given us that is for the church and our place to serve in the church, but there is a call to outside of that community as well to serve and reach people who are lost, well, think, uh, whatever that looks like for you. Well, we're blessed, you know, in our fellowship that everyone is very missionally minded. But, you know, I, I guess my encouragement to to pastors who may be listening or even congregation members who are listening is is if this is kind of striking a chord because you go, wow, we do spend a lot of time, um, you know, mowing the church grass and, and um, setting up for Sunday and there's a lot more we could be doing, you know, pastors pray about that and, and put that before your congregation. Congregation members, take that to your pastor and not in a why aren't we, but hey, pastor, what can we do kind of way? Because it is easy to get caught up in the day-to-day. You guys were talking about it. It's, it is easy to get, um, you know, spend time crafting a good sermon because you want to do that. You want to be a faithful teacher to the Word, and those are good things. Um, but, you know, congregate, you know, we've we've preached it here. We've preached it at, at the church, but it's an everybody plays ball kind of mindset. And, um, you know, there just aren't superstars not supposed to be um, in, a, in a particular church. Um, it's, the, you know, the, the elders serving the congregation, the congregation um, serving one another, things like that. And um, with everybody doing their part, you can do a lot with, with even just a little. So, Hey, Chase, along those lines of what Nick's saying, let, let's talk about service outside the church for a moment. So, um if people are trying to think through those things, am I, you know, uh, okay, I get what you're saying. H- how do they know where to start? Like, what would you, what, what would be your advice on how to begin to figure out what you have a, a heart to do and what God's calling you to do? I have an answer for that, but I want to see what your answer was. Uh, so, so your question is, how does as somebody listening? They're they're in a church. Uh, they want to. They want to. Do the things of the kingdom? Do engage in ministry? How do they figure out what ministry they're called to? Yeah, specifically to lost people. So I, I, I'm doing a little bit of a differentiation here. Um, um, so I'm not necessarily talking about how to find your place to serve inside of your body of believers. Hmm. I'm, I'm asking you're listening. Someone's listening and, and they're thinking through. We're talking about some of the ministry outside the walls. Now, maybe your church does a really good job of organizing those things. Um, at we're or the Hall of Dogma Church. Uh, we <laughs> we do things a little bit differently. Where the it's not necessarily um, organized missional work. Although we have a lot of people who are involved in working in missions outside the church. Right now, we're kind of serving as a. Um, a supportive hub for mm-hmm. those people in a variety of those of those ministries. So, for example, supporting someone who's adopting, supporting a family who's doing foster care. Um, you know, we have some families who have joined us in 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 this you know downtown ministry we're do uh, involved in. So things like that. But it, so maybe your church has some really organized ministries. But but if they don't, and you're trying to figure out how do I know how to go to lost people and proclaim the gospel. 
um, it, 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 assuming you know most people probably just aren't going to go downtown and just find people and start preaching. <laughs> how how would you say they figure out what they're called to? International, local, what have you? Uh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think you figure out what you're called to, at, at least in part through the word. Um, I, I I don't. I don't think you don't need a specific particular call to share the gospel with the world. You have it. Uh, it, it is it is right there in Matthew twenty eight. It's mm-hmm. right there in Luke twenty four. It's all throughout the Scripture. You don't need to spend a, a second of time if you're a follower of Jesus wondering whether God has called you to be a, a missional with the gospel because He has. And if you're a Christian who's in a situation where you think, well, God hasn't just called me to that, that is incorrect. The Word of God has called all of us to that. Now, that's not the specific question you're asking, David, but uh, I wanted to preface. Um, I I believe, um, and and I think you're probably going to drive this question to a different place than I'm going to drive it. Uh, So I'll I'll share, and then then I'm interested to hear what you, you say. I believe that the way to see lost people come to Jesus is very simple. Uh, it's, it's almost going to sound like a Sunday school answer. It's just that almost nobody is is, is doing it. Uh, and that is to, <laughs> to, it's the Moravian model, to pray rooted fruitfully in Jesus and to go out and share. Uh, it's not so much about what method do you use, what tracks do you use, how do you start a conversation. The person who has spent time seeking God for souls to come to Jesus is going to be better equipped and more empowered to share than the person who has a good plan uh, or good training in evangelism or something like that. Um, I think of people like John praying Hyde, who every night would, would and every morning would, would would say, "Lord, give me souls, or I die." And he would just cry out to God that people would come to Jesus on a daily basis in his life, and he would make commitments before God of how many people he would share the gospel with. And and, and I think that's part of it. Uh, side note: I, I read um, I read something Tim Challies posted this week about. Uh, about one of the ways to get free from pornography is to ask God to release more of the fear of the Lord into your life. Um, and I, I was really, I, was, I thought that was really, really good. That that's a that's rare that we pray, Lord, release more of the fear of the Lord in my life. And mm-hmm. uh, that, that might be a future topic for conversation on the show. But but I think the way to see people come to Jesus is ask God to release more of His desire and passion for lost people to be saved into our life, mm-hmm. um, which will lead to deeper. <laughs> A deeper crying out and groanings to God for the lost to come to Jesus, which I think will lead to the spiritual power to be a, a fruitful proclaimer of the gospel. That's where I drove the question. That's that's probably not where you're going, David. So what are you driving at? Uh, you know, I, I think there, so there, I'm going to just kind of add to what you said, because I, I think there's... <clears throat> I know it used to be Rick Warren that would drive home the you figure out what you're called to do by just doing things. And so once you start doing things, you'll kind of find your call. Um, But that leaves out, you know, I'm not saying he would disagree 
or didn't add prayer, but I'm saying just that snippet leaves out the what you just talked about, which is a you know the the, the desperate need to pray and seek God and and continue praying. At the same time, I would probably say um, there is something that needs to be added to 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 your praying. In other words, there may be praying, and then God just shows up and says, "This is what I want you to do." But it may be that you pray and pray and pray, and God brings you opportunities, or God, or you just go and seek out opportunities, and and through your prayers, God brings you to that place. Um, so. Yeah, to some degree, what I wanted to say was there is a need for you to just get involved. Um, you may have to go on a foreign mission trip to a foreign country to figure out if that's where God would have you or if that's where your heart is. Um, this ministry that, that we're involved in right now, we just went to an informational meeting actually on behalf of the church. And while we were there, we just felt very called to look into it more and get more involved. Um, now, I don't think we'll always do this, but I do think in this season it's something that God has pointed us at, and I say that very confidently. So I think to some degree there is a – you just need to look for those opportunities that God brings and take advantage of those opportunities. And as you do, as you go, God leads you. So you kind of see that in, in the New Testament in Acts. Um, you know, as the disciples went, as those apostles went in, in Acts, they would try to go into a place and God would block them. And then they would mm-hmm. go to another place and God would block them. And then all of a sudden, somebody had a dream and they knew where to go. So, But they did all of those things as they were going. Um, now, I think we know they were praying <laughs> mm-hmm. and they were communing together in prayer. And they were also out moving and and trying to go and, and proclaim the gospel. So, um, and, and I don't think you disagree with that either, Chase. Having had those conversations before, I, I don't. Not think at all. So, um, prayer and and seeking God at the same time, um, t- trying to get out and take advantage of opportunities that are there, um, and you know. Uh, seeing what God does with those opportunities as, as um, you know, e- even like foster care comes to mind. I mean, you know, somebody might not feel called to jump right into foster care, but there is a thing called respite foster care mm-hmm. where you can just basically sign up to give. Let a, it be, Lord, let it be. <laughs> basically sign up to give a weekend break to families who are doing full-time mm-hmm. foster care where you just say, hey, we'll, you know, we we'll get a little training, and, and we'll 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 be willing to take in kids on a Saturday or Sunday or weekend to give a, a family who's doing full time foster care a break. So there there's just so many ways to serve, um, and uh, you know I, I know a lot of people who are listening are already doing those things, but uh, at the same time, um, you know there may be those of us who are who are trying to figure out where we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be doing. By the way, uh, I know we got to move on because this went. Praise God a lot further than we thought it was going to, but it's Gulf Shores, Alabama, that has banned Uber. Uh, really? Gulf, wow. Yeah, Gulf Shores and Orange Beach. Um, Gulf Shores Police Department will take appropriate police action towards anyone found in violation. Uber will be treated as an unlicensed taxi service. This type of service is highly dangerous, and getting into a vehicle with someone you don't know can result in a serious crime against you. Well, look, obviously I'm a little bit biased, but here's the thing. Here's why 
Birmingham was very resistant to Uber, and and here's why I believe Gulf Shores is saying that. Uh, you you have you have just as much background checks on Uber drivers as you do on taxi drivers. Uh, and, and I think you can find unsavory taxi drivers just like you can find unsavory Uber drivers. Mm-hmm. But the taxi lobby uh, in any given city, uh, in other words, made up of, of the people who own taxi companies, is, is generally speaking fairly powerful. And the taxi lobby had a very heavy influence on the Birmingham decision, and in my understanding, and I could I could be wrong. I don't. I certainly don't hate taxi cabs, and I, I don't really consider myself to be anything more than an Uber hobbyist. But um, my understanding is that the taxi lobby had a very strong influence on the Birmingham City Council law that was passed or rule that was passed that, that basically said there has to be uh, the Uber fare has to be very near the taxi fare because otherwise Uber would come in under taxis and of course that would that would run taxis out of the place uh, so so there's a lot of lobbying going on this is riding with the taxi driver is not any more safe or dangerous than riding with an Uber driver the only problem with that is in Birmingham you have to be able to find a taxi, which you can't, and it's easy to find an Uber driver. So, <laughs> well, my my sister in law lives in Atlanta, and she she has loved whenever she's been here in town that Uber is available, um, it, just because she is so used to, um, uh, you know, more big city forms of transport, you know, buses and and cabs and um, even some types of uh, trains and. Um, you know, she just kind of opened my eyes up to some of the the things we take for granted because we all have cars and we commute and things like that. Um, but you know, don't don't keep a product out of a city because it's better than what you offer. Um, that's pretty- yeah, look, that's that's just stupid thing. And look, I also just to, to be fair and balanced, uh, I hear that Uber does not treat its drivers very well, uh, and I don't imagine taxi companies do either. I don't, you know, I have no idea, but. Uh, for the was it, did you say that was the mayor of Gulf Shores that said that? Uh, that was a statement from the Gulf Shores Police Department, but they, you know, it's a, the mayor and the city council, I guess, have passed that um, have passed that ordinance, and that was Gulf Shores PD that actually released that statement. Okay, I'd love to know how much uh, money was given to politicians in the context of that statement. <laughs> it, it would Maybe be interesting. To know. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, all, all kind of, all kind of uh, implications there. Not uh, to get political. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wish we had time to get into it. We don't, but I, I did want to. There, there was a great, there's a great John Piper um, kind of teaching about proximity to ca- uh, causality that would uh, go well with trying to determine. Uh, we were, you know, how how um, John Piper talks about how close you are to the. Uh, you know, to the to the cause of the sin, uh, to the cause of the problem, uh, would help you determine whether or not you are culpable and whether or not you should, you know, cease to exist. Uh, excuse me, cease to uh, work in a particular job. So, for example, he talks about if there's a Fortune 500 company that's really corrupt, and you're a janitor there, <laughs> you probably don't have. Uh, you're probably not culpable, but if you're an executive, then you are, and that's kind of an interesting discussion or an inter- interesting principle when talking about, you know, how culpable are you as a taxi driver um, for people in their sin. But anyway, uh, I guess we don't have time to get into that. Well, One thanks thing for leaving me hanging there. I, yeah, I guess sorry. I could be sinning or not. 
Uh, Stay well, tuned. Yeah, he he doesn't really give an answer to help you know tell you. He just he just says that's something for you to wrestle with. How close are you to the cause of the problem? So I think most people would probably say just being a guy. I mean, they're going to get there one way or the other. So just being somebody who just drives. I mean, if you don't drive them, someone else will. You're not causing them to sin. Uh, somebody else may say, no, that's too close to it. I think that would probably be an area of conscience that you that somebody would have to deal with. See, that's funny because that, that reminds me a little bit of a conversation we had in Carpool this week about, um, I guess, Piper. I think it was Piper. Maybe it was Chandler. Um, was invited to speak at a conference where Rachel Held Evans was also speaking. No, it was Platt. It was Platt. And there was the discussion of, is he condoning or, or whatever? Um, I would love to know what conference both David Platt and Rachel Held Evans got invited to. Well, th- there was that question, but um, even still, you know, oh, well, Platt shouldn't preach that conference because then he's endorsing Rachel Held Evans. And I, and I took the side of, no, thank God people that are going to a Rachel Held Evans event are actually hearing the gospel. Like, you know, but it's it's an interesting. That's, that's hilarious. I would love to know what that is. I don't know. I'll ask. All right. Hey, we, 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 we probably need to move on, guys. Got a couple other topics that we need to get to um, before we end. Uh, I, okay, I just got – so this is behind the scenes. I've got a, a little chat that just said clicky noise, question mark, from Nick. Um, the, cl- the clicky noise was oh that was Chase. I'm sorry. The clicky noise was probably me typing. My yes. apologies. Oh, okay. My apologies. Okay, hey guys, the playoffs for the American uh, American version of football, the National Football League the real playoffs. Version, David, the real the version. Real football is tomorrow. Um, by the way, I don't guess we've we've recorded since uh, Alabama's. Have we recorded since Alabama's national championship victory? Uh, I guess not. I guess not. Congratulations to the Alabama Crimson Tide in their sixteenth uh, <laughs> national championship. Um, See, I'm snip. I'm taking. Can you that. edit that out, Nick? Absolutely. Um, I am going to take that. Congratulations to the Crimson Tide. That little snippet will now be my ringtone for David whenever he calls me. That was beautiful. I want to say this. I am fine with Alabama claiming their 16 national championships because it is my understanding that if Auburn used the same criteria that Alabama uses, um, Auburn would actually have three or four more national titles than we currently claim. So I am perfectly fine, in my opinion, with going that route. Yeah. Y'all uh, claim two? Uh, we claim two, 1957 and 2010. Yeah, Although see, there, I think I've heard been four some, total, but I don't remember. There have been some discussions um, about um, them claiming some more in the future, but they have not yet done that. Anyway, congratulations to Alabama. I was not pulling for them, but they won anyway, so congratulations for them winning in spite of my not pulling for them. That, look, that's uh, gone well for us the last few years, so if you just keep on rooting against us. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Look, I've been rooting for Alabama against Alabama since I was a, a wee young lad. National Football League playoffs are tomorrow uh, as, as we record this on a, a Saturday. Uh, so that really be, happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so by the time you're listening to this, it happened yesterday. We're just going to do our predictions. So by Monday, if you care, you'll know whether we were right or not. Uh, the uh, first game up will be the uh, New England Patriots and uh, Tom Brady, their quarterback, leading up against uh, the Denver Broncos and Peyton Manning, their QB, and, and what a lot of people think may be one of his last – NFL games, if not the uh, last NFL game, depending on the outcome. So 
Uh, Nick, you got a prediction for us in the uh, Broncos and the Cardinals, and and I guess we'll just go ahead and give the prediction for the Broncos second game. Broncos and the Cardinals. Excuse me, the Broncos, <laughs> and the Patriots. Uh, I was getting ahead of myself, and you can go ahead and give us a prediction for the second game, which is the Carolina Panthers, led by Cam Newton, War Eagle, versus the uh, Arizona Cardinals and Carson Palmer. So, who do you uh, see winning, Nick, and heading to the Super Bowl? Uh, I think the Super Bowl is the Patriots versus the Panthers. Awesome. So, all right. Uh, uh, Brady. <laughs> I was trying to say Edelman. Brady's got too many weapons, and uh, the Patriots defense has actually recovered. And unfortunately for Peyton, I think he probably should have uh, either stayed retired or hung it up a year or two ago. I think he is too far down the hill. Okay. So. Uh, Chase, are you back with us, my friend? All right. <laughs> Chase, <laughs> Wait, I didn't realize we lost Chase. My bad. Yeah, uh, he stepped away for a moment. Bye, so. Chase. All right, I'm going to go um, the Panthers. Yes, I'm going with the Panthers. And, Spoiler uh, alert. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know what? I, I, I want it to be the Broncos because I, I just Panthers and Broncos, I, I would like to see Peyton make it to one more Super Bowl. Um, I don't want him to win because I want to see the Panthers uh, take, take it all the way. But uh, – you know, I, I kind of feel like Nick is probably going to end up being Panthers and Patriots just because, I mean, Manning has just come on the short end of the stick so many times against Tom Brady. But uh, uh, I'm going to go with my heart there, and I, I, I'm going to say Panthers and Broncos. That's going to be my call for the Super Bowl. So did you hear about, um, and apparently it had nothing to do with the Patriots, but apparently there was an issue with the NFL refs and the um, gauges for the footballs not getting to the Patriots' last playoff game on time? <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, I kid. I, I kid you. And it was like it was legit. Like they had the state troopers right. or whatever. Um, and I'm like, really? Of of all the things you're gonna miss for that game, you're gonna miss pressure gauges for. That's funny. Yes, there was a. For those of you who don't know, there was a um, what's been been called Deflate Gate, <laughs> Deflategate, uh, yes. where the uh, in the one of the Patriots, I think playoff games, the uh, balls were not inflated to the correct. Um, PSI. So, That's a problem right there. Yeah. Chase. Hey, you're back. Chase, back. who are you calling for the Super Bowl, my friend? Yeah, That's a good question. I I think the two strongest teams are the Panthers and the Patriots. But I'm going to pick the Broncos. Mm. And I'm going to pick the Cardinals because here's why. Wow. If Carson you hate Paul, Cam Newton. I don't like Cam Newton. That is correct. I, I, I don't hate him. I don't like him. That is him. such a surprise. Uh, we can get into that in a moment. But uh, it, it, here's the weakness for the Panthers. Other than Josh Norman, they their cornerbacks are pretty rough. Uh, and and I think one of their one of their DBs actually went to my uh, alma mater, uh, Cortland Finnegan. He's a he's a Panther, is he not? He went to Sanford. Uh, be that as it may, I, I, if if Carson Palmer has a decent day, there he's going to torch. I think he's going to torch the Panthers' secondary because other than Norman, they stink. See, Chase went. All right, like, so you're going Cardinals, Broncos analysis and stuff. That's going Cardinals, Broncos. Uh, yeah, yeah. But Chase, listen, Chase wants to. I mean, Chase does that analysis, but at the end of the day, I mean, Nick, uh, I have a fantasy he's trolling ball. you. <laughs> I have a fantasy football championship. Uh, do you have one? I actually, uh, yes, I do. 
Okay, uh, so we've got two fantasy football champions. Hey, look, uh, I have fantasy football championships too. Shut up. I just have from the agape or the are they okay. ones you made uh, on or the gospel? No, friends? he he played in his son's league one time because he wanted to keep up with all what wait, they were wait, chatting wait, wait. about behind the scenes. Wait, I'm not counting that league. Wait, you you beat your you joined your son's fantasy football league to beat ten and under boys. Uh, no, no, and, and no. He still, didn't do it. he still didn't win that league. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> still not didn't, that is still true. Didn't, you, know. <laughs> you guys All are right. deceiving the public. Chase, you're going with <laughs> I know, but our version's hilarious. <laughs> I'm going with Panthers and Broncos, and Nick is going with Panthers and, and Patriots. Now, uh, Chase, do you want to you let everybody in on um, your, your Cam Newton uh, hatred? Um I'm sure it has nothing to do with the fact that you're an Alabama fan and Cam Newton was the uh, Heisman-winning, national championship-winning Auburn quarterback who just for fun in the Iron Bowl in 2010 let Alabama jump out to like a 47 to nothing lead and then 20, came back and beat 24 to nothing lead. Okay, uh, anyway. But, look, but, it, it could have something to do with that. I am not known for liking Auburn players. Um, uh, I, I, although... I'm certainly fine with You're some not of them. You're as bad as John uh, Look, uh, well, for instance, I like Peyton Manning. Uh, I'm rooting. I, I like the Patriots are one of my teams. Uh, I don't, you know, fantasy football has wrecked me from having any particular team. We don't have a – very few in Birmingham are Falcons fans. They're the closest team. Um, but I like the Patriots. But I'm rooting for the Broncos because I, I've kind of grown to like Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning beat Alabama and led the band. I don't, I don't hate him for that. Uh, look, he didn't play oh, for but John Talley does. Oh, <laughs> Talley does. But uh, look, Kim, Kim just strikes me as arrogant. I mean, really arrogant. Um, and I'm not a huge fan of that. I don't like Richard Sherman for the same reason. So you hate all people who have pride issues? Uh, current players <laughs> who are playing the game right now that, that act like that? Yeah, I'm not a big fan. No. Uh, well. I mean, listen, you and I are going to come at it from different angles because I'm a big Cam Newton guy and you're not. And, and that's, I'm sure, I mean, it has a lot to do with college stuff. But, I mean, in all honesty, I think bravado is part of the game. I mean, I, I you know, I realize maybe, yes. sure, maybe, uh, I think comparing Richard Sherman to Cam Newton is a very unfair comparison. I, I mean, Sherman. Very apropos. I, I will well, say, of course. I, I, Cam Newton, the football player, I, I love. I love his style. I love his toughness. I, I love everything about his his football playing ability. On the field. He is my kind of quarterback, yes. Uh, it's his personality I'm not crazy about. Do you guys know anything, though, that he – do you know anything he does outside of all of the charities that he's involved in, all of the, the, the public work he does? I'm not going to lie. Uh, even, even when he scores a touchdown, the dude goes and steals footballs from officials because he wants to give a football to a kid after every touchdown. Okay. I mean, that, he, he, he doesn't do arrogant – not everything he does is, is living out a, an arrogant, prideful uh, – that, that giving the football to a kid thing – it, I, I'm not gonna lie; it's it's softened me towards him from the Alabama rivalry, and I, I don't I don't hate him. Look, that year that they they beat Alabama with him in Bryant Denny, you know, Bama deserved that a little bit because the media team. This was after he you know had allegedly been um, 
offered money to play at Mississippi State and did Auburn pay him or not. And the Bama media department apparently um, played take the money and run before the game. And, uh, you know, it's all fun and games, but um, that was a pretty big allegation for a college kid. But for him to come through all that, make the mistakes he did as a young man, and bounce back and now be on the verge of a Super Bowl, what, less than five years as a pro? Or is this his fifth year? Hey, look, look, Super Bowl, uh, probably on the verge of league MVP. Uh, and then, and then he still makes a point of taking his platform and trying to do right by, by little kids. Um, and I've actually seen other Panthers players now, when they score touchdowns, they have started giving young kids footballs as well. That, that to me, is cool. Um, and I, and I, I am loosely aware that he does other um, charitable things. I don't know the specifics of them, but um, I have to admit my animosity towards him is largely um, confined to the Alabama Urgh, not that guy again. But for what he does in the NFL, he's a. It's hard to. It's hard to bet against him. Well, well, let's do this. I don't. I don't think hardly. Not. Not many people are very interested in hearing some Alabama Auburn guys argue about a quarterback. Let's add a little substance to it. Uh, you, but, you guys might have we heard. Care, Chase. I know we care. I just don't know that the 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 international say, livers I'm- care as much. I was going to say that well, they can go get their own podcast, but pretty much everybody has. So yeah, yeah. Um. So we've already <laughs> you know, that that mission is accomplished. Uh, okay, so in the New York Daily News this week, they are reporting that a Seahawks fan named Sarah has written a letter complaining bitterly about Cam Newton. She is apparently uh, even less of a Cam Newton fan than I am, and I'd complain too if he did that to my team. Well, uh, so so what happened after uh, the Panthers beat the Seahawks? Uh, Newton was taking a celebratory lap around the stadium. Somebody handed him a Seattle flag, and he smiled and threw it down. I've watched the video. I've watched it several times. Look, it's not a deal. But this is what this is what Sarah wrote. Uh, it was a it was a Seattle twelfth man flag, and, and it would be boring to explain what that means. So let's just listen to her letter. She says, "Dear Cam, the twelfth man is a community. Seahawks fans aren't just fans. We are a family that, regardless of winning, stands behind our team and community. So you see, Cam, disrespecting the twelfth man." flag isn't just disrespecting our team. It's disrespecting the fans that back our team. A community that feeds and clothes the homeless. A community that raises funds for families in hard times. A community that helps a three-year-old girl (laughs) battle cancer. A community that has more grace and respect than you could imagine, Cam. And she goes on to cite God and and, and things like that. uh, Okay, so I've already said I'm not a Cam fan. But that is one of the stupidest letters I have ever read in my life. <laughs> Dang, Chase. <laughs> what Cam did was 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 so fast, he didn't even have a chance to think about being disrespectful. Get off your high horse, Sarah. Get off. I, I, I am so tired of hearing Christians, and, and this is this woman doesn't necessarily identify as a Christian, but she's a theist at least. She believes in God and chastises Cam for not doing so, or at least not something along those lines. But um, I am so sick of hearing Christians talk about being disrespected. Uh, that's obviously a big theme in the world right now. Every, you know, Clemson talked about how they were disrespected all year. 
which I found absolutely moronic, considering they were wire to wire number one in the uh, in the, the committee's eyes. You're not disrespected. Um, I, I'm tired of hearing people talk about being disrespected, but Christians, you you think people are going to respect you? That uh, what part of in this world you will have tribulation. What part of everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted? Did you not understand? We're not supposed to be respected. The part where it would affect people in the modern age. Yeah. Well, look, that that's part of, uh, I think, how you know you've crossed that line. And I think all three of us uh, would probably uh, admit to or fess up to some level of struggle with uh, our fandom for college football that is beyond, you know, just enjoying the game. Uh, at least I will. I mean, you know, there, there's definitely, there's no doubt that I have wrestled at times with my level of uh, care for, in particular, Auburn football becoming uh, idolatrous. Uh, but I think that's how you know, you know, when it goes beyond just the enjoyment of the game and and, and even just, you know, having fun with your friends and a little, I mean, we do that banter back and forth and, you know, but when it gets to the point where, uh, number one, wins and losses affect your outlook on life and, and view of the day, um, it, that it's crossed the line. And I think when symbols of your fandom <laughs> are disrespected and that causes you outrage, then, then that's where it's crossed the line. I mean, we live in a state where, no lie, uh, there were Auburn fans who decided they wanted to disrespect statues outside of Bryant-Denny Stadium by putting a Cam Newton jersey on them. Okay, And then in retaliation, there was an Alabama guy who decided he wanted to go and poison the iconic trees at Auburn University uh, in, in retaliation. I mean... When to me the flag is along that line. You have a flag for your that represents the fans of your team, and if someone disrespects that flag, which, by the way, if it's such a big deal, don't hand the quarterback of the opposing team your flag, which is what happened in this video. I mean, they they either threw it at Cam or handed it to him. What did you expect he was going to do with it? But. You know, when, when the icons or the symbols of your team get disrespected and that causes you anger and to jump into action, whether it's to write a letter or to really go overboard and and uh, you know take it to another take it to another level, I mean, you're it, it's it's idolatry. It, it just shows too far. It, it's, it's gone too far. The, the the place in your heart that that team and the fandom of that team has taken is it, it, it's on a throne. And it needs needs to come down. So uh, I, I like Cam Newton. I like football um, as much as the next person. But you know, we we have to watch that. We got to watch it a lot in this state we're in. And um, so, yeah, I may or it, may not have had to avoid um, the the gospel friends iMessage thread during the national championship game at times because I wasn't sure what David might have said. And um, I was, oh, yeah. I was having a good time. I was having a good time. So it was it was what it was. You guys won, and so you got the last laugh at the end of the day. Well, I, I need I to bring my commemorative Sports Illustrated edition. Um, I'll let you see it tomorrow, David. Maybe David can autograph it for you, Nick. Well, as hey, listen, as, look, as long as he doesn't throw it on the ground and pee on you, it or something, I'm I, fine. Let me give well, kudos. Did, I'm going to write a letter to the editor. Let me give kudos to my friend Nick. I have a, I have a Tervis cup. 
uh, com- commemorating the Auburn National Championship victory in 2010. That involved and, that game with Cam Newton, by the way. And, and Nick bought it for me as a gift. So, Wow. Yeah, I mean, that was his he, – he bought that for me as a, I don't remember, birthday or Christmas present or something or just a, you know, hey, man, this is for you. So um, far beyond just a simple congratulations. So kudos, kudos to Nick for pushing aside his hatred at times. Friends are friends forever. <laughs> when All right. Lord- Guys, we got one more, one, I can't more story, one more story before we get out of here. Politics. Um, this is an election year. And in nap time, all right. Uh, it's an election year in our country. Uh, in the United States, things are beginning to ramp up as we decide who the next president is going to be. On the Democratic side, you have Hillary Clinton, who's being pushed uh, further and further by a, a guy named Bernie Sanders, who quite honestly, is getting quite a push from young people, um, many of whom I'm not sure actually know what Bernie Sanders stands for, uh, but that's probably another discussion for another day. Um, but My young it, sister-in-laws love that dude. Yeah. I just wonder if they know why they love that dude. Well, in fairness, one of the ones um, – she lives in New England. She lives in Vermont. She goes to school there. And, yeah. um, she's actually attended um, – you know, he's done some different rallies and things like that, and um, she's actually trying to do her research, but um, it's it's fascinating to me. There's a movement among college kids for this guy, and, and quite honestly, I've seen some even even former students who used to be at our in my youth group who have, are going to some of those rallies, and I really just – I mean, I may be wrong. I may be wrong. I may have done their research, and it's very uh, – it's a very um, – uh, well-informed decision, but there's part of me that just think, okay, there's just this mass um, support of this guy, and they don't know why. And, and, and this was actually kind of affirmed by a local radio show here in Birmingham that went to his rally when he was in town and acted oh, like no. a reporter. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I haven't. Okay, well, uh, yeah, a guy named Chris, who's affiliated with a, a very popular radio show here in Birmingham, uh, went to the Bernie Sanders rally and basically just interviewed the college students um, and <laughs> uh, interviewed them about issues and what issues they liked that Bernie Sanders stood for, and, and it was really hilarious. I mean, oh, no. I'm sure it was quite edited. Uh, of course. Look, that's but, the old Daily Show. Bottom, but uh, bottom truck. line is they – the ones they put on there, they had no clue why they were there. I mean, they had no clue what the guy stood for. So, on the other hand, you know, they may love the they may love him because he's just going to tax everybody that's working and give it to uh, people who aren't. So maybe they really like that as a career choice. Anywho, well, that's well, and that and that may be where we need to get to a different day. But. Probably shouldn't <laughs> there. On the Republican side, you have. Basically, two candidates at the top of the ticket that nobody in the Republican Party wants at the top of the ticket. <laughs> um, it is a battle right now between a guy named Ted Cruz and another very well-known American businessman, Donald Trump, uh, who, quite honestly, all of us have been waiting patiently for a year for his bubble to burst and for him to fall off. But it is increasingly looking like he may be the nominee for the Republican Party um, unless mm. something changes. And uh, Surely something is going to change. Uh, you know, we keep waiting for that, and we have even said that here on this show, Chase, but nothing yep. has actually happened yet. Um, now, 
in the United States, to get elected president, you need to decide which groups of people you are going to court. Um, in recent years, and, and I'm just going to call it like I see it, in recent years, if you're a Democrat or, or on the liberal side, you want to try and get the votes of the uh, pro-abortion groups. Mm -hmm. You want to try to get the votes of the um, homosexual groups. Um, and, and, and that's the voting block you are going after. Typically, Republicans try to court the evangelicals, uh, as they are called, the Christian, the religious groups, those who are what, what is called in this country value voters or religious voters. Now, I'm not saying there's not some crossover, and you guys can correct me if, if I'm wrong there, but that's typically the way it's been in the last few elections where – um, and there's more voting blocks out there than that, but there's always a big question of who is winning the evangelical vote or the uh, – and evangelicals, I guess, uh, what, Chase, that would be typically the term that's used for the Christian groups who are more vocal. Um, is that the well, best way to e Evangelical it? typically means uh, Christian groups who believe that somebody – uh, gosh, there's so many definitions, but an evangelical would be a Christian that believes somebody has to be born again. Uh, so, so there are a bunch of uh, evangelical type denominations: Southern Baptist, Presbyterian Church of America. Uh, they're they're typically more conservative, more Bible believing, more apt to emphasize the importance of evangelism. Uh, and this is as opposed to mainline denominations, uh, which would be the Episcopalians, the Presbyterian Church USA, um, some of the Lutheran denominations, not others. So you know, it's it's, it's a very complicated sort of thing. And, and even even this article that we're going to be talking about, Daniel Burke's article on different types of uh, evangelicals, I think they identify progressives as evangelicals, which I would say there is really – that's like saying uh, somebody's a conservative liberal um, or uh, a Crimson Tide Auburn fan. It's <laughs> just there is no progressive evangelical in my Definition book: a, pre a progressive evangelical is a is a progressive period or a liberal if you if you want to be slightly less charitable. All right, so so that's the question. And Donald Trump is trying to um, right now convince people that he is a Christian, as other um, as other candidates uh, are trying to do the same thing. And uh, Donald had an interesting week. Uh, he, he was teaching at uh, actually Chase's alma mater, I believe, Liberty University. Is that correct? Is that wasn't he there this week or week before last, Chase? Uh, I think week before last. Uh, okay. And yes, he was. All right. And so he he quoted scripture there, and and uh, he was quoting Second um, Corinthians, but as he quoted it, he called it two Corinthians, uh, three seventeen. I think was the verse that he was quoting from. And uh, in all honesty, I think personally, I just, I mean, it was funny. It was funny for a little bit. I I even made a joke about it on Twitter, but it, it really got overblown. I mean, in all it's honesty, a story. in all honesty, there are people who say to Corinthians, they're, they're, they're just people who say to Timothy. I mean, they just, you know, I mean, that's not the, the, the norm or the mainstream um, way. I think particularly if you wanted to look at Donald and go, okay, I really question whether or not you are genuine, it probably wouldn't have been the 2 Corinthians story. It probably would have been um, at a forum he was at, at 
in Iowa where he was asked the question, have you ever asked God for forgiveness? And his his answer was essentially, um, no, I don't think in those terms, if I do something wrong, I just try harder the next time, which is um, either a very non-Christian uh, – well, I, th- I think it is a, a non-biblical, um, obviously, uh, position, but this – Either that or it's very works-based, <laughs> one, one of the two, which is also very non-biblical. So I, I think probably you would point something more toward that than his pronunciation of uh, a biblical book. Um, oh, look. But the YouTube video of the two Corinthians is funnier, so that gets more press. Uh, yeah. Donald, if you listen to Donald Trump, Donald Trump is, is about as much a Christian as – you know, name somebody that's decidedly not a Christian. I don't want to be insulting, but he has no grasp uh, of the Bible, no grasp of uh, of anything along the lines of Christianity. It's a sham, um, and, and it's frustrating that not m- more people are not calling him out because it's a very intentional sort sort of sham. And, and I'm not saying you have to be a Christian to be president at all. I'm saying that Donald Trump is nothing like a Christian. He's not a Christian. He has no biblical sort of beliefs. He's probably a theist. He probably believes in God. But he would be much more of an honorable and honest candidate if he very clearly, you know, just kind of said, I'm not a Christian. Uh, I believe in God. Um, You know, if he kind of took the almost the whole uh, Abraham Lincoln path and another guy who was not a churchgoer. probably had much more of a real belief in God than Trump does, but... Uh, yeah. But is that not something where, you know, so many people in the world have begun using God as this umbrella for... Jesus falls under the idea of a God. And it's it's universalism, and I'm not saying it's gospel, but there there's a big swing in the world that as long as you acknowledge a deity... You can call yourself a religious person of whatever religious flavor you want. And that's fine. He's a theist. He believes in God, a God, I believe. I think that's true. But as as far as a Christian, a person who follows Jesus, well, I'm just he saying the nothing term, like that. No, no, no. And I, and I agree. I'm just saying the term Christian has become a ubiquitous term. It doesn't have the the, the teeth or the, the – or the, it just doesn't have the meaning it used to, I guess, is my Look, concern. Look, in, in election year, nothing has a meaning. I mean, everybody well, is trying to get everything to everybody, and yeah, that's, that's – you know, and, 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 and I think that you know, I, I, I take a different approach, and, and, and even people who listen to the show would probably be uh, up in arms by me saying this. But I personally think in our cultural climate today, it is going to be – Nearly impossible, if not impossible, for a true Bible-believing Christ follower to get elected president of the United States. I, I, I just think in this culture, it, I it's – I just don't think it's possible. And so I think, it, I think it's okay to look at the candidates and go, none of these guys – and, and maybe this is not true because there, there may be some true – You know, I, I honestly have not done a lot of um, you know, Ben Carson – seems to be a guy who at least over the years, he's a Seventh-day Adventist, and we talked about in the previous shows about that particular denomination, but he does seem a guy who's always been religious. It's not just something he's just come up with Mm -hmm. for the sake of getting elected, but he's doing horribly in the polls and has virtually no chance of winning the nomination. 
Um, I haven't really studied Ted Cruz very much to know if his is, is more legitimate. Um, some people say Mark Rubio. Um, is he Catholic, Chase, or is he uh, – Rubio is Catholic. Uh, Marco Rubio is Catholic, and he often goes to an evangelical church, uh, a Protestant. Uh, I think it's Southern Baptist. And his seems to be maybe a little uh, – you know, again, I haven't done a ton of research, but – People seem to speak like that's more of a genuine thing, um, but but bottom line is I think it's I, I think it's okay for for Christians to kind of survey the candidates and vote for uh, the person who um, probably will best uphold their values, whether or not they are a Christ follower or not. Because I just don't know that a true Christ follower can be elected in this in this culture that we're in today. Um, I agree with that. Let me say real quickly, I, I, I'm not downing Trump for not being a good Christian. I, I'm saying he's being disingenuous to even call himself that. Um, no, I agree. I agree. That, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying we should I would, pick I would, the best Christian out of the bunch and vote for them. And I'm not saying that, that Trump's the best person out of the bunch. I'm just saying it's – I would respect Trump more. If he just said, listen, guys, I'm mildly religious. Um, I had a membership at a Protestant church, Presbyterian. It's not you know, been a huge deal for me, but I, 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 I affiliate more with that, and I'm going to protect your rights as Christians. Um, I would have that more would respect be honest. for that. Yeah, that would be honest, and I would have more respect for that than you trying to make yourself into someone you're not, uh, which most candidates try to do depending on who they're in front of. Now, there are probably more genuine candidates out there, and I'm sure we'll get some tweets or emails about them. Um, uh, real quick, in this CNN article, they divided evangelicals into seven categories. I'm going to give you those real quickly and just see if you guys have any comments. Um, first category was the old guard. Um, they called these kind of the aging guys of the, the culture wars in the United States um, who um, um, you know, typically look for very conservative Christian presidential candidates, representative of this group were guys like James Dobson, uh, the founder of Focus on the Family, um, Tony Perkins, who's the head of something called the uh, – uh, what is that group called? Family, uh, Family Research, Research Council, Family. I think, something along those lines. And Is that it? Anyway, uh, something along those lines, and then a guy named – a pastor named John Hagee who's uh, pretty politically active. Um, they uh, would lean, according to CNN, toward a guy like Cruz. Uh, Ted Cruz, you have institutional evangelicals. These are head of megachurches, charities, and seminaries, and umbrella national groups. They put people like Rick Warren, uh, Al Mohler um, in, into this particular um, uh, group, although they, they say Al Mohler, and then they put a picture of Russell Moore in their article. But anyway, <laughs> uh, again, they, they, they would put these guys more in the Rubio camp. Number three, entrepreneurial evangelicals. These are um, these are guys who don't really share a lot of theological beliefs, but they like a good business model and have actually <laughs> kind of built a business model out of uh, their ministries. Um, they are using people like Paula White, Kenneth Copeland, and Jerry Falwell, uh, and they say these people would fall in the Trump category. 
A few more, you have the arm-length evangelicals. These are evangelicals, they say, who really don't talk about politics a lot but are very popular in the uh, Christian conservative groups. They are using guys like Tim Keller, John Piper, um, and and they say they would give the nod to, to these group of people again to Rubio. So if you were kind of in in that category, you would be more of a Rubio person. Uh, the last three millennial evangelicals, so that's pretty self-explanatory, um, kind of growing up out of that old guard of evangelicals, and, and they're uh, a little bit more attuned to the quote-unquote country's religious pluralism, um, and um, CNN says basically this group is mixed. They don't know who they're voting for yet. Then you've got liberal evangelicals at number six. People like Jim Wallace and Jimmy Carter, and essentially they just vote for the Democrats. <laughs> and then finally, cultural evangelicals. These are people who would claim to be born-again Christians, but they don't actually go to church or consider themselves very religious um, or religion playing an important part of their lives. So I'm going to just say they're not really evangelicals. But anyway, uh, CNN says they would more lean toward Trump, which – makes a lot of sense. So, um, I don't know, guys, any comments on whether or not you would agree with those groups of evangelicals and any thoughts on uh, uh, how CNN broke, broke these groups down? I think, uh, I, th- I, think C- I agree with most of what they said. They said that the old guard would, would go with Cruz. Cruz is the most conservative. I can see that. Uh, I was kind of... Uh, you know the entrepreneurial evangelicals was kind of interesting. The uh, I I, I kind of hate to see um, Kenneth Copeland called an evangelical. I you know that just makes me cringe a little bit. Paula White, same thing. Uh, but I think I think it's accurate that those those people might lean towards a, a Donald Trump. The one that was really interesting to me, and I think you mentioned this as well, was the arms length evangelicals. It's people like Piper Keller. Um, who don't focus so much on on politics? Uh, I, I would consider myself more along those lines, pastorally and minister-wise. That that it's not really a preacher's job to get involved in politics that much, especially not preaching specifically about it. All right, so they would say you would fall more toward uh, Marco Rubio, and that is accurate. Uh, Probably, I, I think the last time we talked politics, I said I was kind of uh, I like Ben Carson a lot. Carson's wilted. He has not shown. I don't think he has shown that he would be a good. Gosh, I hesitate to say this because I still like Carson a lot, but but I I think the he is wilted in the limelight, which is not something you want in a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, I I've been more impressed with with Rubio of late than I have Carson. I tend to agree with that. I, I would more or less fall in that arm's length evangelical group as well, and and that would be the candidate I would uh, lean toward at this point, and and one that I tend to think is probably uh, the most genuine. Although Ted Cruz may be as well. Um, in all honesty, I I think Cruz is um, not too many steps away from Trump just um, in some of his views. But anyway, that's uh, 
that's probably debatable. I, I would uh, definitely that's going to get us in trouble. Although yeah. I kind of agree with you. That's going to get me in trouble. You didn't say it, but uh, I, I agreed with you. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's um, uh, you know I, I bet Marco Nick would probably agree with that too. I'm not saying that his <laughs> his beliefs and Trumps are, are the same level of being genuine. Uh, Cruz may be a true, uh, truly time tested uh, Christian, but. I'm just saying both of those guys are a little off the range in some of their views, and and I I think that uh, you know they're not too far from each other. Just my opinion. Again, I would lean more Rubio, but he's not doing great in the polls. I also tend to agree with their cultural evangelicals leading toward Trump stance. So, uh, because basically that's what Trump is. He he's somebody who would say, "Yes, I'm a Christian." But I wonder how often he really goes to church, and I wonder how often he's – I mean, even by his own stories, uh, even by what he's saying now, religion doesn't play a huge role in his life. I mean, he doesn't even ask God for forgiveness, which is a tenet of Christianity. So. Well, David, he doesn't ask God for forgiveness because he's a good person. He doesn't need to. Yes, anti-gospel. Yes, which that's that's my point of what I was yeah. saying earlier. He's the the gospel is foreign to him. Not a, I'm not I'm not criticizing him as a political candidate. I'm just saying the things that are coming out of his mouth are are anti gospel, far from from Christianity at all. Uh, Nick, how are give us uh, your your viewpoint as a Democrat? How are you and your Democratic friends viewing the Republican primary? Really, it's gonna be like this. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine he's a he's a big Bernie guy because Bernie Bernie's the the legalization. Of. Oh Lord! <laughs> well, I saw, our our I saw broad Nick. breast painting stereotypes. Yes, I saw Nick on, at the uh, Bernie rally on TV. So uh, well, I had to, look. I had to peel my "Change We Can Believe In" sticker off the back of um, my Subaru. Um, no, I'm kidding. On all counts, I do not drive a Subaru. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you you know, do drive a Volkswagen. I do drive a Volkswagen. That is true. Are you a member of the Nazi Party still? Wow. I, Hashtag. At, at I, it point. I, <laughs> I was so low blow, wasn't it? Golly. <laughs> wow. Woo. Okay. Um, you know, listening to this, and we're back from our break. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you know, I just said something inappropriate. The entire discussion just makes me go, "Oh my gosh, we're screwed!" Like. From from a political standpoint, on the conservative side of things, as well as as you know, Christians um, in, in this country, and in, you know, obviously from my statement before, there's air quotes around the word Christian because I do believe, especially in, in David or Chase, one made the good point in in, in the political season, in, in the election season, everyone is pro everything um, in order to get elected. Um, but listening to you know the way they break down evangelicals. It scares me for us as believers, um, but equally, you know, the Democratic field is really two people. Um, it's Hillary or it's it's Bernie, and and, and those are the two candidates. Um, for the Republicans to be this divided, this close, um, it just honestly worries me a little because this is what happened in the last you know couple of elections when Obama got elected. There, it was Hillary and Obama, and. And then, you know, they had two candidates, and and the Republicans were completely divided. Um, you know, the last election, you know, obviously Obama was an incumbent. The Republicans were completely divided. And it just, it scares me, because, you know, there's no, um, 
there's no unity, there's no consensus on on this side um, of things, and and that worries me. I I don't I'm not very politically minded, and so in the primary and the who could it be season, I don't I don't dive into it a, a ton. Um, but just in general, reading articles like this just worries me. Um, so. All right, so I'm going to put you guys on the spot. Uh, I'm willing to answer this question. I don't know if you are. You can say, uh, I would rather not answer because I'm a coward. Who makes, if it comes down to Hillary Clinton um, and Donald Trump, who makes the, who makes the better president? <clears throat> Oh my gosh! Do you hate us? I, listen, guys, this is very well probably That's what we're facing thing. right now. This is the oh, likely. You're not wrong. This is it right now. I mean, I, I, I I'm. Listen, I, I'm not saying that's what I want. I'm just telling you this is the this is the likely way things are headed right now. And you know, can I write I, in I for an Bartlett? Answer. All, all of the keep the hope people out there uh, don't don't you know if, if it doesn't turn out this way, praise God. But I'm just saying that's the way it's looking right now. You're you're going to have to pull the handle for a third party candidate, or it's going to be Donald or Hillary. And I'm just asking the question: Who makes the better president? Uh, I, I, I can answer that, and okay. I, I I cannot, in good conscience, vote for Donald Trump. Uh, I, I would be less likely to vote for Hillary Clinton, um, not at all because she's a woman, but because what she stands for and because of who she is. Um, uh, there's no chance of that happening. But I, I, I look, I, I think Trump is a uh, is a progressive moralist. Uh, moral in terms of morality, he's a progressive masquerading as a conservative. And honestly, that's the most important thing for me. Uh, I, I think he really, um, you, you know, anyway, I, I can't vote for him. I would vote for a, a third-party candidate. Um, I, I could not in good conscience pull the lever for uh, Donald Trump. Now, they, he might change my mind over the next few months. Uh, I find that highly unlikely. But so who, who's the better who president? makes the better president? That's not, Yeah, he didn't ask who you were voting for. He said who's the better president. Uh, neither, neither. That's that's like saying, uh, no, I don't know what that's like saying, but no, there there are no better presidents in that situation. I, I mean, I guess if you put a gun to my head and say who's the worst, I would say Clinton is the worst. Okay, Nick, you got an opinion? I I was yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't go as strongly as as Chase did in the put gun to my head. Clinton's the worst. Um, I think if you if you talk about leadership um, potential. Um, I think Trump is less dirty than, than, than what we've started finding out about Hillary. Um, would I in good conscience for vote for either one of them? I, I cannot say I would, but, um, yeah, with, with a lot of heartburn, I go with Trump as the better leader. Um, not that he's a good one, but as, as the better one. So it's all that, that, that is another discussion for another day, but it's always, that's where you start getting into the, are you throwing your vote away? You know, do you, do you vote your conscience? Do you vote? And of course, everybody, that's the great thing about this country is you can vote on whatever, uh, you know, whatever grounds you want to. Um, but see, uh, well, I, and, I, and this is where things get tr- tricky, but it, it may be time for a legitimate third party because you find situations like this where a guy like Trump can't be who he actually is 
and neither can some of the other Republicans. Whereas if you if you had a you call it middle ground, call it far right, call it far left, if you had another party that had as much voice in things as these guys do, you may not have some of the tap dancing you see in the candidates. Uh, yeah, that's true. I just I mean I think it's it's probably too late to mount that in this election, but that's Oh in this election, yes, but just my opinion. Uh so I mean I said Oh yeah, yeah. It, it just in general, I said uh, I said before the show, so I'll say this again. I think, you know, maybe a little tongue in cheek, but uh, I think by the end of a first term of Donald Trump, you could have a World War Three going on. I think by the end of the first term of Hillary Clinton, you're probably imprisoning pastors for preaching against homosexuality. Um, so, you know, that's just that's just kind of how I view it. I think Hillary Clinton would be. The absolute worst choice in terms of uh, the uh, when it comes to religious protection of Christians in the country. I'm not saying. Well, that, I'm just going to stick with that statement. I, 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 I think, agree with that. I don't think she cares about that, and uh, I think she has pretty much made it known that uh, you know she's even made comments that uh, you know if 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 you have religious beliefs uh that are against the you know status quo of the culture then it's time for those beliefs to be molded to this century and so uh i have no idea if uh you know if trump would be um i really have no idea what kind of president he would be but i i know that i am i am more afraid of hillary clinton as president than i am donald trump so that that's that's where i land on it i think I think she would make the worst president, but that that probably is not because of my faith in Donald. That probably is because of my absolute terror of thinking of what kind of president Clinton would be. For the record, none of us were willing to say he'd be the better president. It's just, no, it's the, just a matter of choosing who the worst, <laughs> the lesser of two evils. Yeah, well, the question was who who makes the better, and none of us could say that in good conscience. It's just, uh, yeah, it's hard. Anyway. Well, gentlemen, uh, I think that brings us to the end of a show that was supposed to go an hour, and it has gone how long, Nick? Probably close to two. It's yeah, it's it's pretty close to two. The so. curse of the gospel, friends. Uh, well, well, guys, how did we do? How how did we do as far as getting meaty topics and talking about things that are meaningful versus no, fluff we, like football and such? No, we really phoned this one in. I, I think next week we've really got to suck it up and do better. Uh, you know what? I, uh, I I didn't have faith looking at the lineup ahead of time, but uh, as Nick rightly pointed out, we uh, we can we can take anything and, and 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 you know talk about it for a long time. And I actually I actually think we got into I actually think we got into a, a couple of meaty issues uh, as far as uh, especially with the uh, the Uber discussion and, and outreaches uh, uh, to the loss. So. Good job, team. Go, Go team. team. All right. Back in the studio next week where you won't be hearing my kids outside the room arguing <laughs> and hollering and playing piano and such. Um, yeah, and um, the other of us kept quiet. I was able to keep my family out of the house for a little bit. And, David, you did a good job. Did you use a taser? Were you in, in uh, Well, I having the, them with candy? I'm using the mute button effectively. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get out of here. Um if you pro- if you've listened before, you probably know this by now. There's a couple ways to find us. The gospelfriends.com is the main place. Um, our website 
Everything else you need can be linked from there, but we've got Twitter at my gospel friends, the gospel friends at gmail.com if you want to send us email voicemails 205-575-9735 or speakpipe.com slash the gospel friends. And as always, and we want to point you to the Hall of Dogma. It is a happening place, even today, um, but that's where discussions go on. We have tried to cultivate a community there of um, good friends who's got each other's back. Um, there's as much silliness as there is depth, and um, that's just the way we like it. Holodogma.com will take you to a Facebook group um, as long as you don't Check look out like- the uh, six-word horror <laughs> stories. That's pretty good. There have good been stuff. some yeah, good ones. That is, that's actually a really good one. Good job, Jeremiah, brother of Nathan. That's Indeed. the first time we've mentioned Nathan today, which is kind of a tragedy. Oh, we will. Oh, we will hear nature. from Nathan plenty as a follow up. <laughs> Nathan knows what he needs to do to get mentioned on this show. There you go. Well, technically, Wait, he just what is that? Is that a solicitation us. for don- donations? Hey, Nathan, show us, show us the money. Wow. Oh, in fairness, if we were I in see studio- why you're supporting Trump, there, David. <laughs> If we were in studio, Nathan would get a legit shout out, but we need um, to be in studio for that. But um, actually, he probably angered Nathan with our po- political. Oh yeah, if he ever listens he, again, he probably wouldn't show us anything except his backside. Or a fink. Never mind. Um, so yeah, check out the Hall of Dogma if you're not a spam account and you don't act like an idiot while you're in there. You'll get to stay. Um, for now, tune in next week when you may hear David say, "Just for Chase, war." Cam Eagle. All right, we're going to have to edit that. Right. Yeah. Tune in next week we when apologize. you may hear Chase Listen. say, Roll Tide. That's better. Notice, That's notice better. how there's no swearing in that. I didn't swear. That all depends on who you ask, David. I didn't swear. Jesus is a friend of mine.